Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Hello, and welcome to episode two of season five, 2024 of Future of XYZ, presented in partnership with Rhode Island PBS. I am super excited today to be with Patrick Mork. Patrick is a longtime brand marketer and entrepreneur. Uh, with experience at Pepsi, at Google, where he launched Google Play. Uh, and he's become uh, not only a globe-trotting executive, but also a motivational speaker, uh, CEO, startup coach, uh, and executive leadership uh, coach as well. Uh, Patrick, thank you for joining us on Future of XYZ. Great to be here. Thank you for the invitation, Lisa. Well, I'm excited for our topic today because our topic today is motivation, the future of motivation. And I wonder, you know, how we're going to define motivation in light of the fact that when we think about the future of motivation, it's kind of tied to the past and present. So let's start with how we're going to define motivation. What is it? I mean, motivation, I think, is, you know, it's it's that kind of inner fire or drive that gives us a... a you know, an, an incentive, a reason for doing a lot of the things that we do, right? I think it's kind of our reason for doing things if you want to simplify it. And it can come from many different places, right? I think one place motivation can come from um, is what I call purpose. And, you know, that's one of the things I, I talk a lot about in my book. Uh, another area that it comes from is our values. You know, what are the values that we grew up with? What are the values that are important to us as, as individuals or, uh, or as organizations? And then I think also, you know, motivation comes as well from our environment, right? So I think particularly uh, for younger people, people are motivated by different things, right? As you get older, we always talk about, you know, uh, when we get older, we get motivated more by our sense of community. We get motivated more by uh, giving back. We get more motivated by thinking about, what are people going to think about me when I'm 80 or when I'm no longer here, right? Whereas when we're younger, we're motivated more by, you know, things that are um, more immediate. Um, we're motivated by recognition. We're motivated by financial gain. We're motivated by, you know, the tangible things that we own, right? So that's at least the way I see it. I, I absolutely um, uh, understand that. It's, it's quite multifaceted. And yeah. I think one of the things that's interesting both about the the book that you just wrote which will will come to which is called step back and leap um but i think one of the things that's really interesting to me and i imagine also to our listeners as we embark on you know a new year it is really is why motivation is important to humans and its impact on both our individual lives as well as our collective lives yeah yeah absolutely um you know i think that that's the thing that we can't forget is our motivation or lack thereof, you know, not only impacts our ability to do things for ourselves, but it impacts those people around us, right? So I think motivation also from an organizational perspective is changing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you you hear this a lot when you, when I talk with executives at, at companies, uh, whether it's large or small companies, you know, one of the questions I often get is, how do I motivate my people to, to do more, right? How do I motivate my people to uh, to innovate? How do I motivate them to do more stuff with less time and resource? And I think the, mo the, the interesting thing about motivation is that the source of motivation is changing, right? Whereas, you know, when I started my career way back when, right, not to date myself, um, 
you know, motivation oftentimes was, you know, the business card and the title and which, which organization do you work for? Do you work for Pepsi? Do you work for Google? Um, some of those things haven't changed, but yet what I see a lot with younger people particularly is now when I talk about motivation, the, the motivation is what is my company doing for the environment? What's my company doing for the community? How does my company feel about social issues? How, how much do they get involved? So, you know, motivation is, is, is a fascinating topic because obviously it's psychological and emotional in nature, but, um, seeing as we spend so much time at work, especially in the United States, um, you know, our motivation is often very driven by what we're doing for a living and which environment we find ourselves in. Well, you just talked about it a little bit. Um, and one used to call these kind of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivators or incentives, right? But you alluded to it, but really even at a deeper level, like where does motivation come from? You know, at a deeper level, I think, you know, when you look at, for example, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I think you, you can't talk about motivation without talking about Maslow, right? And so I think motivation just to, at the very basic level is, you know, I'm motivated to have a roof over my head, right? I'm motivated to survive. I'm, I'm motivated to have enough money to pay rent. Um, but I think, again, motivation changes because, you know, once we've checked those boxes, right? Once, once we have a decent place to live, once we, once we have access to food and, and the basic necessities of life, then we start looking at other things which is very interesting because some people would argue, and I think it's really interesting, is that as we, as we earn more, as we are more comfortable, we're more likely to become dissatisfied than actually be satisfied. It's really weird, right? If you look at um, you know, tribal units in Africa, for example, you'll find that some of those people are, they're very happy, right? They're, they're, they're not motivated to have you know, a bigger flat screen television or the, the latest iPhone 15 because it's titanium or, or whatever else. They're motivated by very simple things, right? And yet when you, when as Western civilization kind of encroaches on those people and we begin to somewhat, quote unquote, educate them or give them access to, quote, things that they should have, over time, those, be those people become less happy. Their motivations right. change, right? So it's, it's a very fine balance, but I think there's, there's the primordial needs of what we need as human beings. And then kind of like as, as we move up the pyramid, if you think of Maslow's pyramid, then, you know, our motivations become more, you know, uh, social acceptance, social recognition, sense of worth, you know, spiritual well-being, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's, it's a fascinating topic. Well, it's an interesting topic. It's also um, very telling that you went to Maslow. I know there's lots of people who say that it's complete nonsense and debunked at this point. I couldn't disagree <laughs> more because I think it, as, as stereotypes, as good insiders that we are, stereotypes exist for a certain yeah. reason. Right. You're Belgian and you've lived in 11, you know, countries and speak four languages. I can draw certain conclusions that are starting points for something. They could be totally wrong, but they are usually starting points. And I think Maslow's pyramid is one of those. Um, and I was thinking about it in terms of, um, you know, the psychological theory of motivation really talks to these kind of five essential needs, which are not you know, Maslow's pyramid, but they basically end in self-actualization and talk about people's motivation being to satisfy the basics, food, shelter, et cetera, before you sure. can get to those higher ones. So it's a direct correlation psychology versus Maslow. So we chatted briefly before recording about, you know, the kind of the, the state of the world in 2024. Um, 
the sense of time fleeting, chaos, you know, just, just so many different things. I think one of the things that's really curious to me, going back to kind of the psychological theory of motivation and or Maslow's pyramid, what, what actually is motivating people, the average person, again, tell me the stereotypes, like in this world, I mean, you've been all, you've, you've lived on three continents extensively. Like what are yeah. you seeing that's universal in 2024 that is kind of motivating people? What are the trends? It's a great question. I think, you know, one of the things that I, that I believe uh, and that we're seeing in general globally is one of the things that is motivating people is just a need to be heard. I think that, that, that's the fundamental that drives, um, social media. It's, it's, everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants to be an influencer. Every, everybody wants to share their opinion. Everybody wants to, to be heard. Um, and so I think part of that is being driven by the technology that's available today, right? The fact that you and I can set up a podcast in a couple of minutes and talk about this and broadcast it to the world. It's never been easier to do that. Right. So I think people definitely have a need to be heard. Um, and it's very, interesting but almost sad because we live in a society where increasingly there is less time to have meaningful and deep conversations yeah and so our ability to be really heard is actually worse than it was despite the technology right yeah, if you see i'd like to add the ability to actually listen absolutely right you're absolutely right i mean i think i think those two kind of go hand in hand when i say our ability to be heard Obviously, that's the willingness of the other person to truly listen to us, right? It's, it's like, I think for all the women in the audience, how many times have you been in a situation where you're talking to a girlfriend and you say, I just wish he would actually listen to me for five minutes. And as guys, we, we generally fail miserably because we're always so fixated on trying to solve a problem as opposed to actually listening and realizing that there really isn't a problem that the other person just wants us to, to listen to them, right? So I think I think part of it is that that need to be heard, which is exacerbated by the lack of human contact. Um, and I think part of it is also that we just have so much less time, right? And so if you wanna build deep relationships and if you want to really communicate and be properly understood and really build strong bonds with others, you need to invest that time and, and listen to others, right? You need to engage on the, on the flip side of communication. So I think that's part of it. I think, um, I think sometimes there is also, um, you know, I think we're also facing an epidemic of loneliness as well. And I, and I think all these things tie together, right? So when you look at the statistics in the United States, you know, the, the number of people that are quote unquote lonely is, is, is an alarming rates, right? Driven a lot by these things. And so all those things about wanting to, wanting to be heard, wanting to have an opinion, wanting to be seen, wanting to be listened, um, they all kind of like come together. So, you know, I think that's that's one trend that I would see is is you know that that need to be heard. I think another trend is kind of like I think there's a need to there's a need to some extent to um, to be respected. Mm -hmm. I think you know part of why we have some of these deep divisions. I think in society, particularly in politics, is you know people don't listen to each other and people don't really understand other people's point of view right they're too busy talking at each other and, and, and instead of really empathizing and trying to understand why people feel the way they do why people have opinions about the things that they have opinions on and some of these things are very divisive right politics being the number one divisive thing probably out there apart from you know abortion and um transgender rights and a, a bunch of well, which but, political 
they, they exactly they've all been politicized which i think just makes it worse right so i think fascinating when i was interviewing people at leap you know and, and my startup in, in, in chile i would interview people and i would ask them what's a really important value for you like what's important and without exception every single person said respect mm. and so I, I think i think part of the motivation as well is you know it's, it, it goes back to the famous song right people want respect RSBC, RSBCT, exactly, right? So I think people are very motivated by that as well. So those are some of the things that I've seen kind of like that that really cross across age, gender, race, cultural lines. Yeah. You see that universally. Well, you're, let's talk about your book for a second. So you recently released this Amazon bestseller called Step Back and Leap, and it's really all about embracing change, which is a topic I've talked extensively about as well. Um, it, maybe, it's an, maybe it's, again, an INSEAD thing. Um, you know, with that kind of global mindset um, and and willingness to embrace change. But I mean, I think that the real question is, you know, why why is transformation, why is change so hard for human beings? Because you know, I've I've always been hired as a change agent, and the only it took me way too long to realize that actually, you know, it's the great idea that change is you know change is inevitable, change is constant, and then you realize people hate change. Like, why why is that? Why is it so hard? That's a great question. You know, I uh, I do a lot of keynote topics uh, on on this topic, and and I, and I and I get this question very often. I think there's a different. Uh, I think, you know, the, the willingness to embrace change or not affects people differently. Um, some for some people, I mean, the 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 number one concern I see uh, why people don't want to make change is simply fear. Right. It, it is like I'm. I know I, I see this bridge in front of me. I know that, you know, if I cross the chasm to the other side of the mountain or the ravine or whatever you want to call it, um, life could potentially be so much better for me. But there's mist and there's fog over the bridge and I just can't see what's on the other side. And so that scares the hell out of me. And I think as human beings, you know, we we are um, we are conditioned to feel fear when we don't know what's ahead of us. Right. It's that primordial primordial fight or flight you know, yeah. aspect. And when we when we when we don't see what's on the other side of the bridge, we're, we're we're scared. And even if we know that what could be on the other side should be so much better, you know, we still are very hesitant to, to to make that leap, right? No pun intended. But so I think fear is definitely part of it. I think for other people, com you know, comfort, yeah, is a is a big deal, right? It's like how many organizations have I worked in, or how many founders have I worked in where the business gets to a certain scale or to a certain size, and they say, you know what, I'm stopping. It's like, I'm comfortable here. We're 200 people. We're doing well. We've got good market share. Our customers like us. You know, why are we going to push ourselves to change and, and take our life? It becomes status quo and safety. Exactly. Your motivation becomes maintain what I write, what I have mm -hmm. currently, right? Or cash in on what I have currently. Like mm -hmm. I, I had a situation with a founder a few years ago who said, I'm going to sell my company. And I was like, why are you going to sell your company? You guys are doing so well. And he's like, because my bucket list is I need to have an exit. And the saddest thing is he sold his company to the wrong buyer and they completely gutted everything that he built. And it was horrific to see how this acquirer systematically dismantled everything that his, he had built. And I mean, he got his exit, he's got his cash out, but you would ask yourself the question why, right? Right. So I think comfort is definitely another thing. I think um, oftentimes one of the things that we forget in organizations is when we, when sometimes when we want to make these changes, there isn't necessarily a manual or a YouTube video on how to do it. So oftentimes we simply don't know how to make the change. I mean, for me, when I came out of a coaching session four years ago, 
And my coach was like, well, you've written thousands of pages of journaling. You've been journaling for years and you've written thousands of typewritten pages. It's like, I have 10,000 pages of notes or something ridiculous. And she's like, what might be possible? Typical coaching question. What might be possible if you took all this and all that pain and all that trauma and all your stories and you condensed it into a leap, into a book? And that's what became Step Back mm. Elite. And yet, you know, the, the reality was that the reason why I wrote the book is that I'd been horrifically frustrated with like career change. I was like, how can it be that I went to business school and I'm supposedly this super smart, successful guy and I have no idea how to change my career? Like, I'm at this point where it's like, I'm, I'm probably at the plateau where I want to be in marketing and technology. All of a sudden, I wake up one day and I've been fired and I don't want to work in technology anymore. I don't want to do any more marketing. I don't want to work with startup founders and you know, market the next XYZ widget. Um, where do I go from here? And so there was no manual for that. There, there was no how to reinvent yourself video, right? And so I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this book with the hope that it can, this can help people, right? But again, there was, there was no manual. There was no how to. So I think those are some of the reasons why people don't change. You know, they, they don't know how to do it. They're too afraid. They're too comfortable. And then, you know, there's a host of probably lesser reasons. But those are, those are some of the main ones that I see that come up over and over and over. It totally makes sense. I mean, you you referred to doing keynotes talks and things, but one could also, once upon a time, these were called motivational speakers, right? Um, which is an interesting thing. I don't know if you consider yourself a motivational speaker, but since we're on the topic of the future of motivation here, Patrick, it seems to me that we should address how you, as a keynote speaker, motivate your audiences. Like, what are the what are the kind of the the things that work? If there's that's an awesome question, right? And I, that, you know, the the fun thing is, is as I started as, as I started to study motivation, and as I started to look at my own level of motivation, and as the deeper and deeper I got into writing this book, which by the way, you know, people ask me, what do you recommend and how to best tips on writing a book? My number one tip is don't write a book. Like <laughs> don't write a book unless you're fanatically obsessed with the subject. But you know, to answer your question, um, you know, when you're talking about motivational speaking and, and getting people to to get motivated, I, I think one thing that I that I talk about is that I systematically go through what are the barriers to change, right? We just mm -hmm. talked about a couple of them. Another barrier to change is your environment, right? Some people are not able to change because they are absolutely the wrong environment. I don't know if you have kids, but, you know, one of the things that's amazing with kids is if you have them in the wrong school, it can really cripple their education, their willingness to get excited about learning, right? So I had this, I went through this in Chile is both my kids were in the wrong school. They were in a school that was, it was okay. It was private school. It was, it was fine. But then we were watching them, they weren't doing well. And so we realized, okay, let's change them schools. And when we change them schools, completely different teaching system, completely different philosophy, different classrooms, different people, different teachers, and that environment changed them, right? So, so when, I, when I talk to audiences about how do, you, how do you get that motivation, I think part of it is change your environment. Right. You know, if you're not motivated at work, you, you can either leave your company or leave your team or business unit, or you can bring new people with completely different perspectives into your business unit or team, right? So you don't have to leave your company. I mean, if I did that, I'd probably have a very short-lived career as a motivational speaker, right? <laughs> but when you bring new people onto your team who have completely different experiences and different perspectives, um, that changes everything, right? So that's one way in which you get people very motivated is changing their, their surroundings. The other thing is change your physical surroundings, right? Why do people go to the gym, especially at the beginning of the year? It's like, oh, this is the year that I'm gonna lose 20 pounds, blah, 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 and go to the gym, rah. 
people go to the gym because they're surrounded by other people who have the same motivation as they do. They're, they're ostensibly there to either, you know, get fit, lose weight or pick up somebody, right? It's like one of those. So when you're surrounded by people who are similarly motivated to you, your motivation can change or it could be accentuated, right? Which is why people always say you are the product of the five people you spend the most time with. That's interesting. If, you know, if, you're, if your friends are drinking or smoking weed or, or playing video games all day, chances are you're going to be motivated to do more of that. If your friends are, you know, type A entrepreneurs who want to go to business school, want to change the world and exactly. build the next, you know, Tesla, well, you know, your motivation is going to change that way. So, so those are a couple of hacks. And then I would say the other thing that influences motivation massively, and, you know, I have a chapter in my book, which really doesn't do the, the topic justice because the topic could, in, could involve 10 more books is your personal energy level, right? So my level of motivation at the beginning of the day has, is massively affected by how much I've slept, what I ate the night before, did I do my morning workout and did I meditate? And so I'm very much a creature of like habit stacking, right? Like yeah. James Clear talks about in his book, Atomic Habits. It's like, I'm always stacking habits. So my level of motivation is directly influenced by my, my level of energy. So because I'm conscious of that, I'm constantly working on things to replenish my energy, right? Afternoon after 2 p.m., I got to have my cup of Java, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm working because I know that my energy is dipped because I'm, I'm digesting food. So those are a couple of things that I share with audiences is there are hacks that you can use in terms of changing your routine and habits. And there are, there are longer term things that you can do in terms of changing bigger, making bigger habit changes, surrounding yourself by the right people and changing your environment. Um, it's great. And I, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're at time. So I want to kind of toy to the next, the last question, but I, I mean, what I, what I, What's so interesting about what you just kind of laid out, the little things, the daily habits and rituals, if you will, right? Um, mixed with kind of the broader perspective of, again, whether it's environment or, or team or whatever, I mean, it's, it's about change. It's again, there's a, I'm, I'm hearing this theme of embracing change, willingness to change um, and adapt new, adapt. Um, but as we're thinking about the future, which is of course what Future of XYZ is all about, um, where do you see kind of like the winners and losers, the gains of loss of motivation? Like what's your greatest hope for the next, you know, let's call it five to 10 years, given the state of the world and every, everything that's changing and going on around us, what's your, you know, who, who do you think is going to win, lose? And who do you, what do you, what's your greatest hope? So it's a good question. You know, I think my, my greatest hope is, you know, I'm, um, I'm an optimist. I think as an entrepreneur um, and as a motivational speaker, you got to be. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm very hopeful because I think when I look at what artificial intelligence is is doing to the way we work um, and how we can use it as a tool to become so much more productive, to get so many so many more new perspectives, to learn so much more quickly and efficiently, I think that part of the thing that kills motivation is when you have people doing stuff that they are not good at doing, mm -hmm. right? There, there's no better way to suck the life out of somebody than, than have them doing stuff that goes diametrically opposed to the way the brain is wired. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of science and there's a lot of diagnostics that, that prove this. And so I think that, you know, technology is going to get us to a place where we are able to delegate more and more of the things that we don't do well. And we're going to be so much more productive on the things that we do do well. 
So I think that that is going to have a huge impact on motivation because it's going to allow people to focus more on doing the things that they want to do. It's going to augment their productivity of things that they already do well. And it's also going to be able to help them do a lot more stuff because there's a lot more stuff. Like, for example, if you look at entrepreneurs, a lot of reasons why entrepreneurs couldn't get started is because they couldn't afford to hire help. Right. right? It's like, oh, my God, you know, I can't afford, I can't, I can't afford to hire a, you know, a, a, a marketing copy person. Well, guess what? You don't need to anymore right? No offense to the marketing copy people out there. I'm sure that in some cases you still do need some for some of the more complex work. But if you're an entrepreneur today, there's a lot of things that you can use with technology and AI that you couldn't, you had to delegate before, or you had to do stuff that you knew you were not good at doing. And therefore it took you five times longer. Yeah. So I'm very optimistic about that. Um, You know, I mean, there's going to be other challenges. I think, you know, the political landscape and getting people to actually sit down and, 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 and spend more time and have more discussions. I don't know how that plays out. Um, that's a difficult one to, to predict, to be honest. But, but by and large, I'm optimistic about what technology is going to be able to do for us, not just in terms of, you know, the software component. But I think also when you look at the hardware component, you know, Musk and all these people are working on self-driving cars. That's going to free up a ton of time once we don't have to drive our cars anymore. So we're going to get a lot of time back that we can invest into doing things that either really motivate us because we're, we're passionate about them or they really motivate us because we're really good at doing them. You know, what I always talked about and I talked about in the book as well is, you know, I have, I have a whole chapter around purpose. And I think that the wonderful thing about technology is over time, it's going to allow people to find their purpose from a professional standpoint. Right. And when I talk about purpose, I define that as what am I passionate about? What am I good at doing? What does the world need? And what can I get paid for doing, right? When you can find, you know, the sweet spot of those four things, you lead a completely different life. And today, that's really the realm of the super rich or the super successful. Most of us can't afford to go there. But I think technology and AI will change all that. And so, you know, I think that people's motivations will massively increase. Said like a good motivational tech entrepreneur. (laughs) Get out and make it happen, you know? I love it. You are the architect of your own future. Thank you, author of Step Back and Leap. Thank you so much for joining us on this second episode of the 2024 season five of Future of XYZ. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Lisa. It was great talking to you. And uh, I hope this is useful and inspiring and motivating for your audience. Um, motivating for sure. And um, for everyone watching and listening, um, make sure that you follow us on Instagram at Future of XYZ. Uh, you can watch, if you didn't know, at uh, Rhode Island PBS, which is www.ripbs.org forward slash XYZ. You can listen anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. Uh, and we will see you again in uh, in two weeks' time. Thank you again, Patrick. Thank you, everyone watching and listening. Talk to you soon.